Hello and welcome to episode 157 of In The Move, the podcast. I'm Callum Reid. And I'm Peter Shepherd. And how's your evening? My evening is fine. It's uh, sort of lonely and cold and uh, so the Birmingham-based thing is in the middle of supposed summer. Sounds like something out like the holiday, lonely, cold. <laughs> yeah, where's Jude Law? <laughs> <laughs> it's, I ask myself that every day. Mm. No, I don't, because I don't actually like him. Mm. Maybe, like, 15 years ago, I would have asked myself that every day. Ripley. Ripley. Ripley, yeah. Mm. That was the time. That was his moment to shine. Well, the whole film was a, a, an advert for Tan. Yeah. It looked a bit like an advert, the whole film. Um, I'm drinking dry muscat, which is quite appropriate since we're going to be reviewing um, Gemma Bovary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, yes, Gemma Bovary. Who, how long have we been waiting for that film, Cal? <laughs> well, we're going to wait for we'll wait for preconceptions, but it was not the film I was expecting it to be <laughs> in terms of language. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you know. Mm. Um, okay, have we got any news this week of a non-film nature? Do you want to talk about Chelsea finally yes. winning a match? Yes, no, 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 no. Can we, we always talk about Chelsea. Can we talk about Mickey Gray being banned from Sunderland? Have you heard about this? No. He came out after the game uh, that he lost, uh, the second game, and he absolutely slagged the team something chronic, said how most of them wouldn't even get in a championship team, and that's where they're headed. And he basically said that where are all these players that are supposed to be coming in, the, ch- uh, the chairman's just lied to all the fans again. And because of that la- latter part, <laughs> he's been banned from the ground, even though he works as a commentator for TalkSport, and he's a Sunderland genuine ledge. <laughs> what, what, one of the few. <laughs> he is one of the few, but, um, oh my God. Mm. Well. I'd... But he's right. I mean, he, he, said, he basically said he'd keep... Um, uh, Defoe and he keep Catamol and that was about it. That's slightly harsh. Mm. But, but they've, um, apparently the club statement involves something on the lines of um, when he got um, supposedly uh, banned, uh, so fined for bringing in a uh, bringing in a Ferrari in his new Ferrari on the day when ninety people lost their jobs. This was under Mick McCarthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I that. But he, but he didn't actually get fined. Apparently, all that happened was he turned up there. He'd been waiting for it for three months. It happened to be that day. He didn't know anybody was get, was being sacked that day. He turns up, gets everyone comes out. All the boys come out and have a look. He goes in there. Mick says, "Come up to the office," and um, says, "Look, ninety people lost their jobs today. Would you mind taking it home?" And he said, "Yeah," and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, he didn't exactly leave Sunderland on very good terms. No. So, mm. some bridges maybe have been burned there. Mm. But I didn't know that, so... Clearly <laughs> I hope not. they didn't give him the key to the city. Yeah. He'd just be like, oh, you've got to <laughs> give, give it back. Yeah, key to the city, but by the way, you can't go in the most expensive building in it. <laughs> <laughs> and, believe me, the nicest building. <laughs> I've been in it, it's a very nice building. It is. Uh, we've got to hold on to something, for God's sake. Mm. 
Uh, any other news? We'll talk about the uh, athletics. Bolts triumphing over. Thank goodness. Um, Thank goodness. Narcotics. Yes. Well. Mm. And um, well done to Greg Rutherford uh, for winning another one. Yeah. He's holder of all four. And gingers represent. <laughs> Have we got any gingers this week? Um, uh, Arton was in um, Bond. But what? Art- Jim Arton was ginger in Bond. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. She's representing this week. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So this week's film news. Um, I've just got one bit of film news, and it's on the subject of people buying Ferraris and etc. Universal, um, the huge money-making studio has broken the record this year and it's um not even September and they've broken mm. the record for the most box office earnings by a studio in a single year. Really? How have they done this? They've done this um because of Jurassic World. Right. And Fast and the Furious. Right. And Minions. Okay, I understand. And Fifty Shades of Grey. Because didn't Fast and Furious make that cracked a billion, didn't it? Uh, we've got Jurassic World 1.6 billion, Fast and the Furious 1.5 billion, yeah. Minions 1 billion, Fifty yeah. Shades of Grey over 500 million, well, yeah. and then you've got other little ones like Pitch Perfect 2 is nearly 300 million. Yeah, I was going to say 2, two yeah, I guess. Trainwreck and Straight Outta Compton are both at 120 million. Wow. And that is 28% of the market share. Poof. Which is pretty considering. That's amazing, really. Considering there's, I mean, there's got to be like 10, Mar- 10 Marvel's out studios. there. Yeah. And, and Marvel was one of those studios. Yeah. And no superhero films in that mm. group as well for Universal, which is yeah. kind of encouraging. I mean, we liked Jurassic World. Yeah, um, it did what it said in the tin. Yeah. Um, and there's only one, I mean, there's only Avengers in the top 10, uh, box office this year mm. that as a superhero film so maybe the tides are turning hopefully although um, most well those top three are all sequels or spin-offs yeah um, but yeah so birthdays uh, slim pickings today <laughs> We have, okay, uh, the number one, the star meet on IMDb, is the lead guy in the Maze Runner. So let's move on to Chris what? Pine. <laughs> I know. It just means he's the most searched one who's born today, basically. Uh, Chris Pine. Um, <laughs> we haven't done a lot of Chris Pine's films. I would say he was good in um, the one with Elizabeth Banks, which we'll be talking about later, Elizabeth Banks. Mm. What was it? Something like... God, we did it on the podcast. Was it People? I want to say People, people Like, like us. us. Yeah, yeah, something like that. He, I thought he was good in that. He was fine, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he was really, really, really bad in Into the Woods. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, uh, how do you feel? I mean, he's fine in Star Trek for me. I mean, he's, he's okay. He's okay, but... Yeah, I mean, he's a decent presence. I think he's obviously looking for something, mm. a role that's really going to change yeah. people's opinions of him. I think he's, he's 
the be- I think the best thing he's done is actually uh, is the voice work in Rise of the Guardians because I did not know I did would never have picked him as Jack Frost at all, mm. and um, I thought he did he did really well because usually it's bad when you can actually. But sometimes it's good when you can hear like who, how obviously uh, a famous person it is, like Peter O'Toole and Ratatouille. Uh, but I've, sometimes it's bad. I mean, yeah, was it? I think it was Beyonce in. Um, not was it Beyonce in? Um, God, epic. Mo- most of the people in Shark Tale. Most, yeah, yeah. Um, Rise of the Guardians. I thought Jude Law was distracting in that. Mm. But yeah, um, it's that. I mean, I think I'd kind of welcome the days when you didn't know who on earth anyone was, like the old Disney days. Well, they do kind of do that a little bit with Pixar. Yeah, to a lesser degree, but because um... nobody. I mean, it's proven by the Minions, really, how much money that's made. Nobody cares. No, who is in an animated film? They'll no. go and see any old animated film because they just want to get hol- the kids out of the house. Holi- if it's a holiday and it's in 3D, the kids are going to want to go and see it. Yeah. So the studios are wasting money, basically. Oh, absolutely, yeah. They just, But the, I think what they tend to think about it is if you put a big star in there, then they will be able to go and do the press junket and, for, and go on all the ch- chat shows and all that sort of stuff representing the film rather than just some anonymous person who nobody cares about. I guess that's what you're buying, but when you get a star, yeah, do it. Yeah, I guess. Hmm. Um, Melissa McCarthy. I like. Had, I really yeah. like Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> How do we feel about her Oscar nomination? We feel. I feel good about the Oscar nomination because it's. I was surprised. I was never predicting her because I thought that that was going to be too lowbrow for them. Mm. But Bridesmaids got the PGA nomination. It got mm-hmm. an original screenplay nomination. It was really That's... well liked. It was. How do well, you feel? About, well, I prefer, well when, if I put it this way, that um, I have rewatched Bridesmaids, fast-forwarding all the stuff apart from the uh, Kristen Wiig and Chris O'Dowd scenes. Uh, obviously, <laughs> McCarthy doesn't necessarily go into that. But McCarthy is the best of the, of the rest of the film. But she's not the main reason I like it. I think the um, Oscar nomination, it, it wouldn't be my choice, but it's better than some of them. I mean, when you think about it, like it's kind of John Cusack in Working Girl, mm. kind of is a similar film, you know, kind of supporting actress from a mainstream comedy film. Mm. But there aren't many like that, I wouldn't say. No, no. Not anymore. Sadly. Mm. Um, who else this week? Who else? Um, well, in the realm of uh, actual films, posted pornographic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we also have uh, Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> You've opened a can of worms there. <laughs> I really have. Um, well, I mean, oh God, he's good in the Home Alone films. It's he's sort of like the opposite version of Haley Joel Osment, in that Haley Joel Osment was amazing and then just uh, gave it all up when he became an adult, when he moved into adulthood, and um, Macaulay Culkin wasn't really amazing and gave it all up when he went into adulthood. That's not exactly opposite. <laughs> well, no, the opposite would be that he was really bad as he, he was really bad as a child. I thought he was. I thought he was 
expressive. He's fine, he's fine for what he did. Yeah. I mean, Home Alone, it's not really about him, was it? it was Uncle Buck. What, what Buck. a cinematic classic. What about my girl? I was just cheese. <laughs> getting Even With Dad. Have you seen Getting Even With Dad? No. It is, if I recall, before I click this, it's Ted Danson playing Macaulay Culkin's dad. God. And, and uh, a thief's... Uh, here's the plot. A thief's son cons his father into spending more time with him. How? Um, I can't actually remember. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Timmy gets his father's attention by stealing the coins that, he, uh, that uh, Ray... Uh, to get them back, his father must take him to a number of different places and treat him to uh, things he likes. So he robs the the loot from a from a... Uh, job that his dad's done. Mm. <laughs> it has 4.5 out of 10. That's oh, bad, because yeah. that's even... Nostalgia has not even yeah. dredged that up to 5 out of 10. That's not yeah. good. No. No. Anyone? Any filmmakers? And, that's, and that is made by the guy who did Pretty in Pink, by the way. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which we know... Howard... Is it Howard Deutsch? Is it? Yeah. Pretty in pink, really good. I prefer the Breakfast Club of those. Um, yeah, uh, that era. Yeah, but uh, and Molly Ringwald. I mean, we're just going through people who just faded into the background, who were really good when they were young. Um, mm. Molly Ringwald, really great. I thought, especially in the Breakfast Club, I really mm. liked her. Um, yeah. Right. So this week, yes, quick exceptions. This week. Love and Mercy, The Man from Uncle, I'll See You in My Dreams, and Gemma Bovary. Let's start with Love and Mercy and why you didn't see it. <laughs> I didn't see it because it's Paul Dano and John Cusack, both of whom I intensely dislike. And mm-hmm. uh, I do like the Beach Boys as well. Yeah. So there is a possibility that it could have been something like Bright Star for me. where Not ben on both w- of them, surely. Where Ben Wishaw and Abby Cornish I didn't like. Mm. And I didn't really care for Jane Campion either, and I ended up loving it, loving that film. But um, no, this one I wasn't. I don't like the Beach Boys enough. Yeah. <laughs> well, who would it have I... to be? Who would it have to be? Like, oh, the Beatles, I suppose. Okay. I, uh, I'm not a big fan of John Cusack at all. Um, Paul Dano, I think he's all right. Um, I really liked him in that Four Ellen, which. Where he played the uh, dad and the, you kind of fa- uh, father of a broken home, and I thought he was really good in that. Mm-hmm. But them two in a biopic about the Beach Boys wasn't really selling me. Yeah. But I did know that um, Oren Moverman had written right. this. Yeah, this is the guy who did The Messenger. The Messenger and uh, I'm Not There and. Rampart? Did he Rampart? Rampart, yeah. Good shout, Shepherd. Yeah. On form today. I actually loaned Rampart to somebody at work because he said really? he loved Woody Harrelson. I was like, see this. Well, well yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, second, second Brie Larson in as many weeks, as you mentioned. <laughs> um, and I really like the Beach Boys. I've been getting into them recently. I listened to Pet Sounds. I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, good Vibrations is just awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that I mean that the music was a plus, the yeah. acting probably less so. Didn't yeah. know the director. Mm-hmm. Movement was a plus. Yeah. 
Um, the man from Uncle. Uh, Guy Ritchie would have been a plus in nineteen ninety eight, after like one film. Um, Lock stop. Yeah, not anymore. Um, he's just gone increasingly downhill. Uh, Swept away. <laughs> I never saw it. I never had any um, desire to. Uh, it's actually. Personally. It's not terrible. It's... Yeah, but the um, the, uh, the original love... is a Vert Muller film, and I really don't have much time for her. I really, I really like the original. But yeah. Mm. Um, preconce- oh, preconception. Preconception is uh, he's casting hunks of meat rather than actors. Uh, even though I did like Army Hammer in Mirror Mirror. Yes. Um, female casting. I'm bored of Alicia Vikander, even though I think she's quite good. Uh, but Elizabeth Debicki's big plus after uh, Great Gatsby, she was probably the best thing in it. Yes. Uh, but yeah, we we I couldn't really get excited about this. This is why we're doing it a little bit late. Uh, what about the original show? Uh, it was one I could never really get into. I never really, I never really got it when I was young. I didn't really know. I I didn't know enough about the whole background to really get into it. But whereas with Mission Impossible, I could. Um, but after after Sherlock Holmes, uh, that just killed Guy Ritchie for me. So. It was dreadful. Mm. Dreadful. That's That score still haunts my dreams. The CGI still haunts my dreams. My God. The accents, everything is just horrendous. And we're back to Jude Law. <laughs> it's, but it's, I mean... Guy Ritchie, I do like Lockstock for what it is. And it's amazing that you managed to get some... More on Jason Fleming later. Indeed. <laughs> And it's amazing that you managed to get so many actors who aren't that great in a film. Yes. And it actually manages to come out as pretty good. Yeah. Um, Vinnie Jones in that film is is the um, amazing part of it because who would have thought that somebody who was that, well, much of a brute on the, on the yeah. pitch yeah. would come a out. A meathead. Yeah, would come out with a performance like that. It's, yeah, it's strange. Um, the guy which he was a negative swept away. It wasn't terrible, but it did kind of piss all over the original and mm. what the original stood for. So, which wasn't good. And Madonna, biggest Madonna fan in the world, but will mm. not. I cannot defend anything she does on the screen. <laughs> it's just, just she's. Pro- I think she's just too conceited to act. Yeah, I just think she just doesn't have it in her. No. Um. But, I mean, I was wondering more than anything else about why on earth they've made this film. Because yeah. this is like an ancient TV show. Yeah. Is it a British TV show? No, I think it was American. Okay. But it's I mean, it's just like, why suddenly revive it now? It just felt really redundant. Um, it, there's some post-conceptions with, that I found out about it, but um, yeah, I agree. And, I, I mean, I'd heard that it was fun. Hmm. So I was getting kind of Kingsman vibes about it, you know, mm. people saying it was a, a good time. Yeah. Um, but I'd, I'd rather have seen the films that I saw this week than that one, just because yeah. you know, I was more interested in other elements of other films. Yeah. I'll see you in my dreams, so I'm guessing you didn't know much about this. Nothing at all. Okay, well this is... I knew that it had made... 
like nearly ten million dollars in the US from really limited release, mm-hmm. um, and it had Blythe Danner in it. Right. Um, I don't. I don't know if I've seen Blythe Danner in anything apart from Meet the Parents. <laughs> I'm sure I have. Um, give me a second on that. Okay. Um, but I mean, she, so she wasn't really a plus for me. Mm-hmm. But um, I knew the reviews were good. I knew that the it was an older romance. Yes. Oh, hang on. Is this the film I think it is? What's your number? Is she the mom in that? Is that Anna Faris? Yeah, she's in that somewhere. Yes, yeah, I think she's uh, Anna Faris's mom in that film. Okay. Uh, but detachment. Y- she's in detachment. One of the teachers. Is she? Yeah. Uh, Sisterhood of Traveling Pants Two. Who could forget that? <laughs> the Last Kiss. I didn't see the Last Kiss, but um, yeah, that was the return. Tom Wilkinson was it? I thought is is that Miley? Uh, Last Kiss. That's um, uh, the guy. It's Zach Braff, isn't it? And Amanda Bynes. Oh, okay. I think. All right. Okay. I was must be thinking of something else. Um, but I mean, she's not been because she is Rachel Bilson. She is so oh, Calm down. She is um, Gwyneth Paltrow's mother. Yeah. And, yeah. She was in Sylvia, I think. And so Gwyneth Paltrow more famous, so she's kind of been overshadowed by a daughter. Mm. Um, but I, I mean, so I didn't really know anything about that. I just knew it was an older romance, and I thought, why not? It was available. Mm. Awesome. Gemma Bovary preconceptions. Um, well, we did Anne Fontaine the other week in birthdays, didn't we? Um, mixed bag of a, of a director, uh, but she can be good. Um, Fabrice Lucchini is awesome. Yeah. Big, 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 big plus. Uh, Gemma Arterton, um, she was really good in Tesla Durbervilles, but she's not been good in anything else. So, and that's a long time ago now. So, um, and she's worked with some, well, she worked with Stephen Frears and it wasn't great. So, uh, she, she worked with Neil John and it was. <laughs> well, that's the one I haven't seen. Um, so, no, I, she's not really much of a plus for me anymore, no matter how good looking she is. Okay. I. Oh, do you want to mention Madame Bovary? Oh, yeah, the uh, uh, I've seen the film. Uh, what is that, Jennifer Jones? No, it's about Oh, okay. I think every, every actress has played this character <laughs> one time or another, especially in the old days. Hmm. Um, okay, so you knew the story. I did know the story, and so um, I'd seen the trailer for it as well. But uh, I, the Bovary, I, the Bovary that film that I'd seen was a shab role, uh, Isabel Huppert, and uh, she's very good, but it's a pretty dirty chore film. Okay. I didn't know anything about the story. The only thing of Madame Bovary I've seen is that horrible speech in little children mm-hmm. where Kate Winslet kind of they're, in, they're doing it for the book club or something and like it's just makes the film just makes it pains to compare Kate Winslet to Madame Bovary mm. um, I thought this was in English I thought it was in English as well 
until basically the credits, the opening credits were coming on, and my housemate said, "Oh, is this the one that she learned French for?" And I oh, thought, "Oh, <laughs> yeah." Um, which I mean, fair enough for you know, good for her learning French. Um, but I was expecting it to be in English. I, mean, I was expecting a bit of French, but I was expecting it to be mainly in English. Yeah, I was expecting a monsoon wedding type thing. Yeah. Fabrice Duccini, a plus in Petiche and Cycling with Molière. Yeah, he's, anything he's in really is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I was getting a fluffy vibe from it, hmm. from the marketing material. Alarmingly, Tamara Drew. Yeah, it was sort of like Tamara Drew in the French countryside. Mm. <laughs> That's what it looked like. Um, Gemma Arterton, not a plus apart from in Byzantium, where I thought she was great. So, um, yeah. Fine. Right, so tell me about Love and Mercy. Love and Mercy. This is the story of Brian Wilson, who was the driving force behind the Beach Boys. Indeed. Uh, in the 60s. So he's played by both Paul Dano and John Cusack. Dano plays him while he's in his youth um, and writing songs, etc. Cusack is playing him in the late 1980s. When he's gone crazy. Yeah. So it's like, he's it, well, it kind of starts in the 80s and he's buying a car from Elizabeth Banks, who's a car saleswoman. A hmm. uh, very glamorous car saleswoman. <laughs> um, so she, he takes a shining to her and they develop a relationship. But she discovers that he is under the legal guardianship of Paul Giamatti, who plays kind of his therapist, who's basically doping him with drugs and controlling him, and, you know, kind of his finances, etc., which actually happened. Um, And it kind of then flits between the two and shenanigans ensue. Uh Um, Involving wobble boards and... uh, French horns, you name it. More of a French horn later. <laughs> That's clearly the title of the podcast. <laughs> um, and it's it's pretty evenly divided between the two. You know, it's um between the two stories. I'd say Dano and Cusack are core leads. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. Do you remember when I was talking about the longest ride? Um, is, that, is that one of Sting's tantric wanks? <laughs> Sorry. Be careful here. This is, um, <laughs> this is uh, Scott Eastwood we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, but remember when I was saying that as soon as one story, you know, you're kind of happy when one story ends and it goes back to the other one? Mm. So I was just, I think it's really well put together from an editing and directing perspective. Um, and it's kind of like, it's really meticulous. And I don't know how much of that is Moverman's script. Um, because I'm Not There was obviously very dependent mm. on the structure. Yeah. So it might be in there. So I'd give give them equal credit on that, but it's it's put together very well. And it's, you know how you get with music biopics, you think, oh God, it, they're sold by the numbers. Mm-hmm. 
and you can see stuff coming a mile away. But I like that in this, when you get the where Banks r realizes that Giamatti's controlling him and that you know Cusack's dubbed up and he's not altogether with it. Mm -hmm. It's not like you don't get like there's a bottle of pills here in one scene. There's you know the odd you know um, unreasonable behavior from Giamatti in the next scene. It's not like constantly you know leading it's not spoon feeding you in it mm -hmm. it just basically happens in one scene and that's it and the film is very much about that it's it doesn't feel labored it doesn't feel padded at all it deals with issues very quickly and then moves on and i kind of like that i just think it's good screenwriting and it just doesn't you know it really it's not elongated or kind of flabby at all um but it's like basically the film i'm gonna say the film's well acted mm -hmm. especially by cusack right so who is the lesser of two evils for you yeah. cusack okay i think he's really good but it's like it's well, so he's, gonna, he's gonna be better than he was in the um paperboy isn't he well, it's weird because that was the so over the top, <laughs> and in this, it's so underplayed mm. because he's playing somebody who's basically drug addled. You know, he's been he's took however many drugs in the sixties, you know, and now he's just being tranquilized, and he's got ticks and mannerisms, but they're not in your face. Um, He's kind of like spaced out, but he's got a complete lack of self-consciousness. So it's not like Rain Man, mm. but he's got similar-ish mannerisms to Hoffman. It's just dialed down a lot. And you just feel really sorry for him. And I think it's like a lot of like choices he makes. It's like body language, too, with body language and posture. It just makes him seem sort of like not in control of himself physically but you can t still tell that his mind is working in a similar mode because he's always been kind of a relaxed meditative you know thinking things through kind of person yeah so i just really like that and i just really think that he he's tremendous for the film um and of course banks is great because she always is very natural um, and she's kind of the one that you root for really in the film because Brian Wilson as a character is not particularly likeable at any stage. Mm. He just is what he is. He's kind of just like a musical genius, mm. you know. But um, it's I mean, so many great tunes. Oh yeah. <laughs> like they were going on about there's a there's a scene where the second album's flopped. Um, mm. Because it's basically he's gone all you know, the musical styles have gone really out there and stuff, and they're talking about it that the critics love it and Paul McCartney said that God only knows is like such an amazing song, um, and yet they're like oh let's just get back to our commercial, um, when people loved us and the record was surfing USA, <laughs> yeah exactly, and um. 
it's just like that kind of thing. I mean, when you get to like the band politics, there isn't a lot new that you could say. Mm. Because it's just basically them complaining that he's taken over and it's all about him. Yet he's the only one really with any real talent. Mm. So it's kind of like, what do you expect? So it's a bit like this whole, like it was the same in Jersey Boys and Dream Girls where she eventually fared into the background behind Beyonce. Just kind of this whole like, you know, one person taking over jealousy, quarrels, that kind of thing's just been done to death. So oh, yeah. it's just, when that comes on, you're just like, oh, can we just move on now? You know, get past this. Mm. And generally, the interesting story is the kind of Melvin and Howard. It's the, like, later days of this person, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I, I kind of liked it. I mean, I think, I do think it's got Awards chances, right? Um, I think it's got a best picture shot. Um, it's come out early. Things are leaning towards earlier releases these days. Grand Budapest held on for a long time. It's in the Oscar wheelhouse of biopics, mm-hmm. um, and it is a good film. So, I'm going to give this a. B. Cool. Right. Oh God, here we go. Get the claws out. No, I've got to try and talk about the plot. Oh God. <laughs> right. So the Math Uncle uh, starts with Henry Cavill extracting Alicia Vikander from East Berlin in the least Richard Burton and Claire Bloom of ways. <laughs> so gentle then. <laughs> well, you, you you can tell how Listen. serious the tone of this film is when he ends up um, uh, basically uh, taking uh, taking her down a uh, a wire into the back of a uh, into the back of a van. <laughs> a wire over the wall into the back of a van. Whatever. Um, so while he's doing this, he's, he's being pursued by a Russian agent who's played by everyone's favourite uh, set of twins. Um, Army Hammer. Yeah. And uh, before too long, uh, both of them are ordered by their respective bosses in their respective intelligence agencies uh, to work together in order to stop someone from doing something with an atomic bomb. I'll do. So it's very Bond. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I think um, with the style, it's not very James Bond. Um, it try tries. <laughs> oh, does this film try? Uh, it, <laughs> it tries to um, be uh, zippy and pacey and what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, in reality, there's just nothing interesting to underpin that. So, um, uh, all these sort of smug looks every now and again are just aren't entertaining in the process. So, as a result, it feels padded, even though they're trying to shift it along quickly. Uh, there are a few, a couple of montages which are very Thomas Crown affair. It works for the um, uh, just general uh, 
to- setting and uh, tone and period. Uh, but it is a little bit. I'm sort of like squinting one eye here as I'm talking about this. Uh, it's a little bit smug. Well, knowing more than smug because you're you're referencing films from a period rather than a period itself. If you see what I mean. So right. You, so, and this, you can either view it as uh, being referential or being uh, postmodern in that respect. If you want to get really boring about it, <laughs> or if you, you want just, to get analytical, <laughs> well, I'd, I'd say boring because um, it bores me even saying the word postmodern. Uh, or it's just Guy Ritchie being a hack. So I don't know. It felt less hackish than his work usually has before. Let's just get that out there. But what, I mean, Tarantino does this though, right? Tarantino well, doesn't he, really he, reference well, eras he, as much as he references films from an era. That's true. Um, and, but, and, uh, but his plots are all the same as those films as well. Whereas this is a spy film done in... The, in uh, it's not like he's doing it like the Ipocris file. Right. He's doing it, if you see what I mean. Yeah, so it couldn't ever be made at the, in the time. It's not no. really... No, yeah. and, and it's a different genre to Thomas Crown Affair as well. So it's not like he's taking a spy film from the from the, from the the 60s and now he's doing a film now like a spy film from the 60s. Yeah. Mm. So what about the hunks of meat, as it were? Cavill can't act, can't portray an emotion. It well... Doesn't... Man of Steel was dreadful. Yeah, and uh, he's just a male model who's walked onto a film set, and you, uh, there's no—it's uh, not his fault necessarily because there's no characterization. The worst, uh, uh, worse than that is Cavill because, sorry, is um, Hammer because, oh, he of strange first name, uh, we're, we're, <laughs> he can be funny and charming when it's supposed to be uh, zany. Yeah, like, like and ridiculous and ridiculous in a crazy way, like, I mean, like Mirror Mirror. He was. I thought he was one of the better parts of the Lone Ranger as well. Oh, I hate that. Oh, 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 oh. Whereas here, it's as if they're expecting you to find everything amusing just because there's people stood there. Uh, and um, he doesn't have uh, the character is wafer thin and he doesn't have anything to do and um, they're not neither of them are served by the direction which is just expecting you to be having a good time by yourself without any reference to what they're actually doing or putting up on the screen mm. um, the women I think you're just supposed to think they're attractive that's it uh, Dibiki's big disappointment um, she, um, I heard she was really kind of fun in it it doesn't. I, I don't think she's. Uh, I think she was going. They they think that she's going for delicious, but she's. I just didn't really think she was doing much. Um, I thought she was really downplaying it. It, it. That is the the femme fatale that uh, in this sort of tone of film, I would have expected it to be over the top and f- really really overtly fun, like Gong Li, Memoirs of a Geisha, <laughs> just <laughs> full on bitch fest, please. Um, <laughs> But um, NBR, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> we, but uh, no, it's uh, there's all these. Uh, it's just set pieces after set piece after set piece, and um, they're not even that good. 
the um it's it's all setting rather than um a story it's all it's it's all stizzle no steak and the sizzle isn't even that um good so it's pretty much bust Oof. Mm. uh vikander are you she's pretty I'll, I'll, I'll give her that because we've got more vikander this year it's not over it's never over <laughs> thank you ryan it still isn't over Great for the man from Uncle. Three because three f- no four four. It's it's poor, but it's it's not terrible. It's not a train wreck. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. All right. So I'll see you in my dreams. This is Blythe Danner. She's playing Carol. She's a sixty-something woman, although. Did you get my text? I think I saw that one. That's like the last one I got, I think. 72, this woman <laughs> is. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know how. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But anyway, she looks like 50s. But anyway. so Maybe, she... maybe she's got the same surgeon as Mickey Gray. <laughs> <laughs> Did I go there? <laughs> That's where, that's where his tendons went. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so Carol, uh, she's a widow. Uh, she's been a widow for nearly 20 years because her husband died in a plane crash. And she hasn't had a relationship of note since then. She and her friends, who a couple of the friends are Rhea Perlman and June Squibb. Good grief. <laughs> They kind of visit this nearby retirement clubhouse where this the new guy on the block is Sam Elliott, who yeah. I didn't know, I wouldn't have known by name, but Mask. <laughs> nah. Absolutely kind of hot in Mask. I can picture him, I know who he is, yeah. <laughs> he played Gar, I remember he was called Gar. Anyway, <laughs> so that was a turn up for the books. Um... So he asks Danner out straight away and um, they begin a relationship. Meanwhile, she is also engaging in a friendship slash relationship of sorts with this 30-something guy who cleans her pool. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And she's also kind of reconnected with a daughter who's played by Marlon Ackerman. Okay. Who is just terrific. Um, Hmm. Not necessarily in this film. I mean, she's good in the film. Mm. But she just... I think she's just great in general. She's just got such a nice presence. Well, maybe not Watchmen, but... Uh... Oh, really? <laughs> but the, um, she's... Uh... It's just her eyes. She's usually saddled with some pretty bad roles. Yeah. But she's, I bet she's great in The Comeback, which... Um... TV show with Lisa Kudrow. She's great in that. It's just, I think she's just, because she plays the daughter here, and she does a lot without doing a lot. It's kind of like in ways that are really generous. Um, and you can see without her really trying kind of what her impression is of Dana, because she's just, she doesn't see her very often. She's just coming back. Um, and what concern she has for her and kind of the comfort that she wants 
you know, Diana to have from her being there. And that's all very, very natural. And mm. I found, like, the, the two times, I've only seen her in two things, but I thought she was really, really natural in both of them. Mm. But anyway, so what I wanted to say is, this is the first screener. Officially, this is the first screener sent out to the Academy this year. Right. In an attempt to get Blythe Diana a nomination. Ooh. Does she deserve one? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, no, you haven't seen the rest of the nominations. No, well, no. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be unhappy with the nomination because I mean, I think this is smart from them. You know, the film's been going around the country. It's been doing really good business. It's mm-hmm. got to 10 million dollars for a tiny tiny film that probably cost half a million. Yeah. Um so you've already got a lot of older people having already watched it. Yeah. Why not get the old Academy members who've got time on the hands at this time of year mm-hmm. to watch it before they see the rest? Yeah, yeah. We were talking about this last week with Amy Adams and uh, Richard Jenkins. Mm. But it's the same thing. I mean, it's a tiny film. Who's to say that the year can't turn out to have seven or eight possibilities for best actress by the end of it yeah if she's one of them who knows Hmm. um but she's i mean she's just it's kind of like it's not a particularly warm performance like this one of the first scenes is where she's got to put a dog down Hmm. at the vets and you know she cries and everything but she's not bawling and then after that it's a performance is like very quiet and subdued and she you could tell that she's kind of like really apathetic towards, um, you know, towards relationships and life in general. And she's got quite like a, I mean, she just, she has the perfect lifestyle for me because basically she stays at home, throws back white wine all day and then falls asleep on the porch. You know, it's like, it's it's like living the dream. It's like, I guess it's like looking in the mirror. (laughs) It's like they held a, a mirror up to my life. <laughs> it's it's like I wanna I wanna be a kept woman <laughs> and uh, drink white wine all day when I'm in my seventies. Obviously. Um, and go speed dating. She does. Mm. <laughs> That's just perfect. Have you yeah. ever been speed dating? Speed dating, no. <laughs> Many other kinds of dating, yes, not speed dating. <laughs> um. But, I mean, I think that the film deals really well with that whole period where you've committed your life to somebody and they've gone and now you're thinking, oh, fuck, mm. what am I going to do now? Um, and, you know, when you've given some, so much of yourself to one person, I can believe that you could end up going decades without really connecting to anyone else again. Oh, sure. Or, like you know, even thinking like banter with a guy is just pointless and, you know, why bother? Mm-hmm. Um, so it really gets that across well and, the can you know, this relationship, friendship she has with the pool guy is like really undefined. It's never one way or the other, which yeah. is I really like, you know, because it could come across as really desperate because both characters are not really, have got issues, they're not really happy. And it could end up being a bit cringy. Mm. 
you know, with the 35 year age gap could really be cringy, but it's not. So that's really handled well. Um, there's like a plot development happens about 20, 30 minutes in, which is really major. And it comes completely out of the blue. Is this where she gets loaned back to AC Milan? <laughs> this is Balotelli. Yes, sorry. <laughs> this is the only time ever when Blythe Dano will be compared with Mario Balotelli. <laughs> and you found it, people. It's a talent I have. <laughs> um... She's um. Oh, where was that? Is... Uh, the uh, the relationship between them is um. Uh, oh, sorry, the plot plot revelatory plot. There's a revelatory yeah. plot. It's really massively um hits gut, you know, gut wrenching, mm. um, and you know it completely changes the perspective of the film. But it's actually not that bad, and it didn't really offend me. And it's it kind of goes along with this constant um, mentality in the film, where it's kind of refusing, it's constantly refusing to become sentimental and cloying, and it's not conforming to this widow spinster fantasy, you know, where some you know Sam Elliott cowboy type comes in to her life and stokes her embers and <laughs> all this, and you know carries her off into the sunset it's very not like that at all and it's just really really interesting that it hasn't gone for the sweet it hasn't gone for the Elsa and Fred you know yeah it hasn't gone that way I mean this is like leagues above Elsa and Fred mm. um a couple of things bothered me I think the type I think the attempts to generate humor are really forced like there's a speed dating montage where this guy says to her um, if you have herpes I don't mind and, <laughs> and there's a scene where her and that, I that was, that was actually the um, uh, tagline on my, my profile <laughs> if you amazed how comforting that was for, for women remind me not to share a bottle of beer with you then <laughs> Um, yeah, but it's like, and then there's this, because the, all these girls play bridge, her, Rhea Perlman, June Squibb, and then they all get high on this, uh, prescription marijuana. So, oh, oh, I was going to make a, um, mm. <laughs> back, to, back to the former Liverpool footballers. <laughs> June Squibb has a scene where she's high, mm. um, listening to the smoke alarm beep. <laughs> And it sounds, I mean, it's not unfunny necessarily. It just feels to me like a very easy way of getting laughs for yeah, it's an a bit older. Chi- it's a bit Cheech and Chong, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, oh, all the older people are going to laugh and think, oh, isn't this naughty? Hmm. It's a bit like the swearing in the King's speech. Mm. <laughs> it's a little dig. I thought you were going to say the fisheye lenses. <laughs> Um, as um, yeah, I mean that's my only main problem with it. It's kind of a little slight in general, but um, I think it's a really intelligent film about uh, 
elderly romance. So it's a high B. Interesting. Yeah, and I would check it out because it's available, people, and it's only 90 minutes and she's very good. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Right. Oh, God, I don't want to talk about this. Um, <laughs> On to the French horn. <laughs> yes, right. Um, so, Gemma Bovary. Ah, Gemma Bovary. Gemma Bovary is about a, an English couple played by Jason Fleming and the divine Gemma Arterton in, <laughs> in, in so many ways in this film. Um... <laughs> Who've come to France? Uh, they move in next door to the local uh, baker, boulanger. boulanger. Yeah, I was going to say boulanger. <laughs> local boulanger, Fabrice Luchini, and he, uh, he upon hearing that she's called uh, Gemma Bovary, uh, this this tickles him immensely. That somebody with that name would go into the very region where Flaubert wrote his masterpiece so so, the level of enthusiasm just pouring yeah so after a few days she's completely mastered the French language and um, to be fair she was decent to begin with (laughs) sorry (laughs) and uh her life begins to increasingly mirror that of the fictional character with whom Lucini is obsessed. Yeah. Mm. Can we start with Madame Bovary itself? Because I haven't read it. Yeah. Um, But I get the impression Mm -hmm. that my problem with the film... Is probably your problem with the source material. Well, I don't necessarily think it's my problem with the source material. It just feels like they've had difficulty adapting the story beats of the novel to this setting. Yeah. Because the story beats in this are so random mm. and bizarre. Well, well, the problem with it is, it's just... Um, once um, Lucini says that his t- his decade of sexual um, uh, tranquility yes that's it <laughs> his decade of sexual tranquility ends with a wave from Miss Arterton and wouldn't it just <laughs> they do the most cheesy and unrealistic uh, things to try and amplify this like he's out walking with her and she gets a Beast uh, stinker inside so her random. dress. So random. I mean, what? I don't. Uh, it's it's very. The tone of the film is not quite right either. It's like it's not screwball or anything like that. You know, where you could get away with something like that. Yeah. I think Gondry could probably have made this quite breezy, but I mean, the way it plays out, it's sort of like, is it serious? Is it? You know, a satire on the material. Mm. Is it a reworking? Is it irony? Um, yeah. It's definitely irony at the end, but yeah, there's a there's a scene um, early early on which um, I think would be the way forward, which is where he's a uh, uh, Luchini's uh, having dinner with his son and his wife, and uh, he says, uh, 
they talk, he says that her name's Gemma Bovary and the, mo- the mother says that she prefers a different novel and he says, I prefer Call of Duty and uh, Luchini responds by saying, I'd, I'd rather you did, took drugs than say stupid stuff. <laughs> yeah. That is the tone that the film should that was be. Good. It, sh- it should have one-liners like that all through the film. Funny banter between the ca- uh, characters. Uh, did you know new, who the son new... was? Uh, no. Casey Mottet Klein. Really? From Sister. Grown up fast. Wow. Um, but yeah, so that's how it should be because it's a little bit off center. It's not the sort of line yeah. you'd expect. Yeah. But it's it never, never hits anything like that, even remotely consistently. No. Um, the plot, the plot is diverting, um, but the humor isn't. And yeah, the dialogue could be a lot better in general. It's just, I mean, firstly, the first problem I have with it is why she would ever go with that mummy's boy <laughs> that looks like he's never shagged anything in his life. Well, well it just what, doesn't French make sense Robert, to me. French blonde Robert Pattinson. Is it? <laughs> if it is, it's maps to the stars Robert Pattinson. <laughs> Wannabe. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, seriously, it's it's not even Louis Garrel in The Dreamers. He's not yeah. even at that level yet. This is like, <laughs> why on earth would she be interested in that well this is the question i suppose is it is it all this is the, the conceit that the film tries to bring bring in even slightly is it it's a moderate question of is it all in his head or is it actually happening but yes it's actually happening and um i thought it was going to end up like it was all in his head and then they have the scenes of them in bed, and I was like, oh, "Okay." Yeah, but the problem with it is, if you, if it is all in his head, which I don't think it is, you've got stuff scenes just with her, or or just with them where he's not present. So it would be a massive cheat on the storytelling. It'd be that. like Hitchcock in Stage Fright. You could, you yeah. couldn't do that. You can't. No. Yeah. Um, so it would be a massive, massive cheat uh, if it was, but. The pro- and that is the only way that you would explain some of this plotting because um, it's like atonement syndrome where the, where the way that you get around it is by any of the uh, potential problems in the plot is by saying, oh, well, Brian, he's just a bad writer. Yeah, that doesn't work. Mm. I also, apart from the French, the French guy did really bother me. Um, not the um, young French guy. Yeah. Why is she so devastated when she thinks he's rejected her? She yeah. doesn't love him. You haven't got any. This is the this is the huge huge problem of the film. It's that you don't care. It's her character is so. You don't um, care about any, about about any of these relationships that is drawn because it's so incredibly superficial and the plotting is so cheesy. You don't the the detailing of any of the relationships is so consistently skated over. That there's nothing, there's nothing there to get emotionally involved with. So when you then have a character going in an emotional direction by being manipulated by another one, yeah. when you already have had it undermined by her herself, like you just said, yeah, because she said she doesn't care. Yeah, what sort of but you can have, but you can be in a relationship and th- uh, have the one character think that it's casual and and really it's more and they don't really get that until it's taken away fine maybe but they don't even they don't go there at all they don't they don't mind that out at all so that's no. just me trying my hardest to actually try and get some of the reality behind it 
Well, it's but... what I mean. It's obvious. It's obvious that they're trying to suggest that she is bored, and that is why she's doing this. Yeah, but I've no and idea that, why she's doing it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I think they kind of require you to have an A grade in literature and have yeah. done this novel to death, mm. and yet they still don't really give enough insight anywhere in the yeah. film. It's it's really. I don't know. I think it's misjudged. I think I quite like the idea. I think mm. I admire the idea of it. I just think a lot of it's misjudged. Yeah, I mean, when you think of it on paper, it's it, when you see the trailer, it's not too bad. Um, <laughs> well, you could say that of a lot of things. Well, no, no, no yeah, exactly. But uh, the, say that the, of Elizabeth the Golden Age. The tra- trailer wasn't bad. No, but I mean, the idea in the trailer isn't bad. But you think uh, we're, the, the, we're the setup of it, but uh, of the. The, the guy being tickled by that, and then he sort of, mm. yeah. It it doesn't. They just don't go. It does, Lucini has so little to do in this. But he's the best thing about it. He is the best thing about it. He's a very classy performer. Uh, but Arston, good grief! I mean, she just yeah, she has she, she does no, nothing aside. She's from all right. Out, aside from fill out a few variously nice dresses. And then she has, they expect her to cry a couple of times and that's it. And this is just my big, 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 big problem with her ever since she's um, done. Um, when was the last time she, well, I, I haven't seen. Um, Byzantium. No, I haven't seen By- Byzantium. But the only time I've seen her remotely try at all in something uh, or be required to try something at all is Disappearance of Alice Creed. Oh, Yes. Yeah, that was interesting. I didn't really like it, but it was interesting. Well, Marzan was the best thing about it. Kel Surprise. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously you you liked her in Tess. So. Oh, she's really good, and it's just got to the point now where she's she's been training all looks for too long, and it make it makes her boring as a performer as a result. I think though, I definitely don't. I mean, I don't disagree with her choice of director or her yeah. choice of direction in general to go in this direction mm. and she learned like she learned French I think it's admirable I just think why pick a, a film that clearly is so disinterested in fleshing out mm. the central character as opposed to commenting on the everything surrounding her it just it seems like she wasn't doing herself any favors in terms of character even if it's an artistic way to go instead of doing a like a comic book film or a thriller yeah and um when she does a comic book film it's tomorrow drew uh, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's uh we can you, you can st- sit back and be a bit snobby about why actors um pick certain projects or not at the end of the day uh, it can sometimes just be as simple as um, you want work with, you want to work with the director or you in, um, want to work full stop. Certainly, Michael Douglas has been in that position where he just thought, right, I want to work right now. What, what's what's the best script? What script is the most go ready in the pile that I've got on my uh, desk? A perfect murder. Or he, uh, which one he said about that? Um, oh, <sighs> might have been Vantage Point. Was he in Vantage Point? I don't think so. No. There's one thing. I'll come. I'll come back with that one in a minute. Okay. Mm. Um, but I think I think something like the ending. I think it could work. The irony of the ending could work if he'd done it better. I think the way that they 
flashback with Fleming's perspective. And the Sentinel. The Sentinel. Oh, that is that Eva Longoria? I don't know who else is in it, actually. Mm. It was... Eva Longoria, indeed, and Kika Sutherland, that was it. God. Oh, well. Paid the bills. Mm. Um, paid for the surgery. Mm. I, mean, I mean the facelift. Um, right. Yeah, but the ending, I mean, what do you think it could work in terms of who's killed, who's, spoiler, mm. <laughs> whose um, fault it was? I don't think it really matters. It requires you to have an interest. That This is the problem. And by that point, you've just brought along this one guy as a complete afterthought. You've rushed uh, the whole Jason Fleming thing. Everything about everything about the all the romantic entanglements, all that sort of thing, is so out of the blue, yeah, and underdeveloped, and you don't even see half the stuff that goes on. And is it? And I don't know if it's just a screenwriting economy to the nth degree, or just bad screenwriting, or I, I think know. it's just bad screenwriting. Mm. Um, I don't know who it was. I mean, should it's we name and shame? It's probably Fontaine on a road. Or with someone else at the very least, but she usually writes her own stuff. Um, it's coming up now. Mm. But uh, it's yeah, it it just feels like there's a lot of things that need patching up. Um, it was written by her and Pascal Bonitza. Just clicking him now. <laughs> Um, uh, 36 View to Pick San Loop. That's not exactly the most narratively brilliant film I've ever seen in my life. No. Uh, Tom Kishanzon. Uh, that's a decent film with the nerve. And Depardieu. Station A film. Story of Marion Julianne's and, uh, Bayard. But again, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's probably the most interesting film on the list. La Belle Noisieuse. That's... Famous. That's not. Famous, it, it it is. It's another Bayard film. It's really. It's sadly. It's really famous because uh, Emmanuel Bayard gets naked a lot in it. But it's um, very long. Um, it's Jacques Vett film. Piccoli is really good, and uh, Jane Birkin's um, pr- uh, impressive as well. Mm. It's. Uh, I, I liked it, but it, it's, it's got um, a decent. It's too long. It's got a decent CV there, though. He's Tekin. Like that, mm. Duchess mm. of Langeais. Did you see that? No. Um, and yeah, I I don't know. I don't know what went wrong here, but it, it just felt it felt way too random to me. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. The uh, that doesn't work, and then the po- uh I didn't like the um, epilogue either. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit obvious. It wasn't really that funny. No, I, mean, I don't think this is a disaster. I just think it's more of a misfire than a particularly yeah. bad film. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm going to give it a C. Uh, yeah. Um, I think for long periods, this is an average film. And there's not that much wrong with it. I, I think the last 20... I think it can be forgiven the last 20 minutes. But... There's very little that is above average throughout any of it, so I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10. Uh, very, very low 3 stars. Okay. 
Mm. Alright, so, we're on to Shag, Marry, or Kill. Oh, wait, no, mm. do you want to mention Alucine? Oh, yeah, um, basically, three-slash-four-star three uh, reviews across the board for this one. Wow. I thought they'd be a bit more uh, bitchy. I thought they would have got Anne Fontaine, definitely. Yeah. Okay, um, Shag, Marry, or Kill. Um, right. Um, so you got a shag one of mine. With your two, I'd see Blythe Danner. I would marry uh, Gemma Arterson. Uh, and I would kill Michael because that really has no reason to exist. Okay. I would shag Love and Mercy. Marry, I'll see you in my dreams. And kill Gemma Bovary. It's a good shout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the position, oh god. Here we go. Uh Hurdles to surmount. Um, oh. Do you start with Uncle? Well, she's off off to a immediate bronze there. And then uh, <laughs> Is that boss, is it? Yeah, and then with the Bovary it yeah, it just gets goes downhill from there. So outside the medals uh four. No Elsa. Uh no. Okay. Annoying. <laughs> um, Garrett Gage, we have. Uh, we'll start with Love and Mercy. Well, John Cusack and Paul Dano are both. No's! <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> I'll see you in my dream. Sam Elliott back in Mask Days would have been a yes, um, but mm. that's obviously gone. And. Mm. Um, the pool guy is not hot enough, so it's a no for him. Yeah. Gemma Bovary. That's why he's uh, sleeping with a 72 year old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although he did sing, um, I think we're alone now on karaoke. Oh, good grief. Which was a good a good uh, choice, I thought. <laughs> Blythe sang uh, Cry Me a River and was very good. Uh, Jason Fleming's a no, and um, young French guy's definitely a no, <laughs> and the sleazy guy near the end is a no. I mean, you know, really, she was better off out of that whole <laughs> scenario, wasn't she? Yes. The choices she had there. Oh dear. Uh, so it's one point on the gauge. Hmm. Easy week. It is. So we have a website, it's moveforpodcast.com. We are on Twitter at Move for Podcast, Facebook in the Move for Podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Casts. Mm-hmm. Next week we have... You know what we have next week? I don't. We have Berlin Best Actor and Best Actress winners. Oh, 45 years, I did know this was coming out. 45 years is available next week. Oh, on video on demand. Is that it? It is. Well, I don't think. I, mean, it's, I don't it's think it'll be in you, like up near mm. you. Mm. But it is available to stream. Um, very excited for this. Yes, of course. Um, more, more. as excited as more, Inside more. Out. More. More. Okay. More. One. Charlotte Rampling is one of my absolute favourite actresses. Uh, she's probably my. I think she's probably the best actress of the last fifteen years. If you, if you, but, from ninety, from ninety nine 
to 2006. She made a top 10 of mine every single year. Best British actress ever? Or was that pushing it? Oof. But then you've got Viv- Vivian Lee's British, isn't she? Um, certainly from the age of fifty onwards. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, and we have the very similar, straight out of Compton, <laughs> which, um, although Tom Courtney is no stranger to rapping. <laughs> In quartet. Do you remember? Great. Uh, But yeah, Straight Outta Compton doing great business. um, And it's available. Are we seeing Straight Outta Compton? I might do, if I don't have to pay for it. Do you have any affection for NWA? Um, I quite like... um... I quite like a, uh, a few, a, a few, a bit of that album. It's not, uh, it's not on my uh, iTunes or anything, but it's um... quite a glowing reputation from you, isn't it? Really... <laughs> well, no, it's the sort of thing that um, white uh, middle class boys do when they're at university and it's a hot summer's day and they're driving down to Majestic Wine Warehouse to pick up a crate of Asahi in a Ford Fiesta. Was I? Was the Asahi consumed while driving the Ford Fiesta? <laughs> I know that's the sort of thing you would listen to in that ultimate white white middle class moment, <laughs> in that brummy <laughs> milieu. Actually, the type was from Boston, but whatever. 